Good morning. Good to see each and every one of you. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And, and today's kind of exciting <clears throat> because we have some, some different people in the house. We have all of our kids with us, which is really exciting. It's such a joy to see, to see all these families come together in worship. And this time of year, it's even, it's even cooler because what we're, what we're doing is we're celebrating the, the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been doing for the past month, the, the season of Advent. We've been looking to the birth of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, every once in a while you, you, see, a little, you see a little baby, a little baby boy, a little baby girl, and you're like, oh, right? It's, it's, it's something that's special, something that you, it makes you think twice, it makes you look a little longer, like, oh, but what, what's so incredible about it is that God did that. God did that. He became a man, and not only a man, he became a little boy. And that's what we've been coming, that's what we're just coming out of, by the, by the way, Merry Christmas. Um, and as, we're, as we look ahead, as we continue to, as, you know, as day after day goes by, the next really big event that you and I look forward to, probably, if I had to guess, is Easter, right? You, uh, where we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have these two big events in the church and Christian calendar, Christmas and Easter, right? But I have a question. What about all the stuff in the middle? What about all the stuff in the middle? If the Christian life is all about the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, does the life of Jesus matter? Does what Jesus had to say, what about those three years that he was out preaching, healing, changing people's lives, did those moments matter? And I want to encapsulate all of that into one central question. Why did Jesus come? That's what I want to ask this morning. That's where I want to focus. Why did Jesus come? And by God's grace, we have his word, and it's going to answer that question loud and clear. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, will be right here behind me. We're only going to be looking at two verses today, Mark 1, 14, and 15. And I'll read them here now. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so before we jump into anything that those two verses just say, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the structure of Mark's book. What is he doing in his book? And now the first 13 verses, what comes right before these two verses are what you and I would call a prologue. Right? It's, it's, it's Mark introducing to us the story of Jesus. And he does several different things. He does it in a lot of different ways. Uh, but he's, he's telling us that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the, the one that God has appointed. He's the one that God has chosen to lead his people, to rescue his people. Okay? That's what Mark is saying in those 13 verses. Now, he does it in a couple ways. But one of the really important ways is he talks about somebody else. He talks about who many of us may know, John the Baptist, the ministry of John, who's Jesus' cousin. John comes before Jesus, and we, we see the Old Testament talk about John, believe it or not. He, the, the Old Testament said there's going to be a messenger, there's going to be a prophet who's going to come, and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, and that's John. God uses John. His ministry comes and it goes, and now we see Jesus take center, center stage. He has the spotlight, and that's where we are in verse 14. 
Okay, so we see in verse 14, now after John was arrested, so he, he kind of takes a back seat and Jesus becomes everything. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, so our question all day is, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, we see right here, Jesus came simply to say something. Jesus came to say something very specific, and that something is the gospel of God. Okay, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you haven't, but most of us have probably heard of this word gospel, right? That's, well, that's one of those four books in the Bible, or that's, the gospel is when Jesus died on the cross for my sins, or, or that's, the gospel is how Jesus did something for me so that I could be with God again, right? Well, I want us to force ourselves to slow down and to take that word away and ask again, ask afresh, what is the gospel? If this is what Jesus is proclaiming, we need to understand what is the gospel, now, what's really interesting is that Jesus didn't make up this word. Mark didn't make up this word. It's a word that's already been in their culture. It's already been in their religion. The gospel or the good news, those are interchangeable. That is a word or a phrase that comes from the Old Testament. We see the Old Testament talk about this gospel, this good news. And it's used in several places, several times. And what we need to ask the question now is, what, what does the Old Testament say the gospel is? Because by the time Mark is writing, that's the only thing that there is. So what is the gospel? Well, we can go to several places, and here's just one. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 to 11, talk about this good news. Isaiah 40, 9 to 11, it says, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. And get, here it is. Here is the good news that they're talking about. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense, or his payback, before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So here, almost as a surprise, I don't know about you, but that takes me somewhere else. I think of the gospel. I don't think of that. Here, the gospel is God coming to reign. It's God coming to rule. And not just anywhere. He's coming to Zion. He's coming to his city. He's coming to Jerusalem to rule. Now, where is this coming from? Why, why, is, why is the gospel defined as God coming to rule in Jerusalem? Well, we have to go back even further. We have to go back generations before Isaiah even prophesied this to a mountain. We have to go back to a mountain, Mount Sinai, where God has just taken his people, the elect people of Israel, he's taken them out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for 400 years. He takes them out, and he makes a covenant with them, which is like a mutual, intimate, binding agreement with them. And he says, I am your God, you are my people. That's the covenant he makes with them. Now, along with that covenant, though, were certain stipulations, certain rules, certain things that they had to do. Because I am your God, you need to be doing these things. Well, the story of Israel is, uh, is not, too, not too happy because they don't listen. They don't obey. They turn away from that covenant. They turn away from that law. They turn away from those rules. They do not follow his voice. And back in that same covenant, God said, if you don't follow me, if you disobey me, I will punish you. And the, the most um, 
the, the highest or the greatest expression or manifestation of that punishment was exile. Okay, you can turn on CNN and, and you hear this word exile every once in a while. It's where someone is taken out of their homeland and they're taken and, and brought to a foreign land. Today, it's because they're running from something. Then, God was punishing them. They were taken against their will out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, and they were taken away to two separate places 150 years apart. They were taken there because of their sin. And even worse than that, even worse than that, we read by another, another prophet, Ezekiel, chapters 8 to 11, and specifically in chapter 10, we see the presence of the Lord leave. He's gone. The presence of the Lord leaves the temple. Their sin has left them abandoned. They've broken the covenant of God. But here's Isaiah. Here's Isaiah prophesying in chapter 40 and in chapter 52. He says, hey, it's coming. It's coming back. The exile's now over. He's one day going to bring us all back, and God's going to come down again. He's going to rule again. He's going to reign over us. He's going to destroy our enemies. And that is really, 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 really good, good news. That's the gospel. If we ask the question, what is the gospel? The Old Testament says that's when God victoriously reigns over his people, over all the earth and over his people. Now, that's going to sound a lot more familiar when we see what Jesus has to say in verse 15. Okay, so he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And listen to what he proclaimed. And he says... The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so we're asking the question, second time now, why did Jesus come? Verse 14, Jesus came to say something very specific. Now, verse 15, Jesus came to bring something very specific. And that something is the kingdom of God. Okay, now, two really important phrases here. The time is fulfilled, or the time has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Both phrases are together. You can't separate them. They both are talking about the very same thing. Let's talk about the first one. The time is fulfilled. See, the Jews, when Jesus would say this to his audience, they knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, they didn't like what he was doing. He said, the time has been fulfilled. They knew about this gospel. They knew when God was going to come and reign again, he was, where his presence was going to return to them again, stronger than ever and forever. They knew about that. They had a name for it. It was called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. Now, what is crazy and, and fantastic is that Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? It's here now. That day has come. The day of the Lord is now. It's shown up, it's here. Okay, and now right along with that is the kingdom of God is at hand. And just like the word gospel, kingdom is a, is a tricky word for us. King, what, what exactly is the kingdom of God? But so, uh, just so uh, the gospel, also the kingdom. The gospel isn't a new word in the New Testament, and neither is the kingdom. The kingdom is something that we can find, we can get its definition from the Old Testament. And at its most basic level, at its most basic level, the Old Testament communicates to us that the kingdom is God's sovereign reign and rule over all the earth, and specifically over his redeemed people. God's sovereign reign over all the earth and over his redeemed 
people. And we get this in several places, several places. And here's just one. Here's just one. Psalm 145, 10 to 13. Psalm 145, 10 to 13 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Listen for the words here. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. We have to understand what the Hebrew poet is doing. When, he's, when the psalmist is writing this, just like a really uh, a creative poet, he's saying the same thing in two different ways. See what he said? When he speaks of the glory of your kingdom, speak, and he tells, speak and tell, tells of your power. So what is the kingdom? It's God's power. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So what is the kingdom? It's something that never ends. What is the kingdom? It's a dominion. He's matching us up. He's doing two different things and saying the same thing. So the kingdom isn't some geographic location. It's not a boundary. It's it's not a realm. It's not uh, not something uh, that, that someone tries to protect. No, the kingdom is much deeper. It's much more pervasive than that. The kingdom rules over people's hearts. It's a power that he has. Okay, so when we think of the kingdom, we don't necessarily need to think of heaven. See, because the kingdom is right here and right now. And perhaps the craziest part of it all. And again, this is why they crucified this man for saying this. They crucified him for this because he said that kingdom was coming through him. We see several times in the Gospels where he refers to the kingdom as my kingdom. Whoa. Blasphemous. Blasphemous. No way you can say this is your kingdom. You see, in the Old Testament, Yahweh was the one who brought his kingdom. Yahweh, the God of Israel, he was the one who brought in his reign over all of us forever. He was the one. And now Jesus in the Gospels and all of the New Testament, we see Jesus is the one who brings God's kingdom to his people. This this. This man out of Nazareth, this, this is a carpenter's son, but he was doing the things that only Yahweh could do. He was saying the things that only Yahweh had said. He was showing his people and he was showing the world, I am God. I am God. And he didn't come only to say that the kingdom of God was at hand. He came to bring the kingdom himself. That's a really, really critical piece that we have to remember. Not just to say it's at hand, but to bring it, to bring it. Now, maybe in the back of your mind, this is what arose in mine as I was preparing. Wait a second. I don't necessarily buy this. Jesus, you came to reign over all the earth. You're saying that God has shown up now. He's here. He's here to stay. The kingdom of God is here. Okay. What about the bad stuff? What about the bad stuff? Let's go to to the Middle East for a second. God, how can you be reigning when the Islamic State is murdering thousands of people every week? ISIS is, is running around there, and you're saying you're reigning? 
God, what about disease? How can you be reigning when 500,000 people are going to die this year because of cancer? How can you say that? Or make it personal. God, how can you say that you're reigning when I've just watched my mother and my father go through a devastating divorce? How can you be reigning over something like that? How can you reign, God, when there's so much sin, so much evil in the world? Well, Jesus gives us a very delicate answer, a very important answer to that question. See, when he brought the kingdom, he did not bring it in part, but in whole. Okay, stick with me. When Jesus brought the kingdom, this reign of God, he brought it in part, but not in whole. And we're going to see this. He teaches about this in just, in just a couple chapters over in Mark 4. Uh, if you turn there with me, we see in Mark 4, verse 30, verses 30 to 32, Jesus explains about uh, this thing that we're, we're dealing with, what we're struggling with. How can you say you reign when, fill in the blank. Here's what he says. Mark 4, 30 to 32. And Jesus said, with, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Okay, so the first reaction is, what the heck are you talking about? What does a mustard seed have to do with anything? Um, but we, we, need to, we need to get past that. It is a little odd, I know. Uh, but what we, need to, what we need to remember is that right now, right now, today, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's a, t- it's a tiny, it, it, it feels tiny. It feels insignificant. It feels, might I even say, irrelevant. It feels that way, doesn't it? God, where are you? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. But there's coming a day. When that little tiny mustard seed that I, that I, could, I could throw and it'd be gone, I, that, that little tiny mustard seed is going to grow up and to be the biggest tree in all of the garden. It's going to be the biggest thing that there is. There's going to be nothing else that can even compare with the grandeur of this tree. It's going to be taller than everything, bigger than everything. That's what the kingdom is going to be. And that day is going to come when Christ returns. So much a part of our faith, whether you realize it or not, is all about Jesus Christ coming back again. This Christian life would be kind of depressing if we didn't hang on to the hope and the glory that our King of Kings is going to come back again. And when he comes back, he's going to destroy all evil, guaranteed. He's going to wipe away every tear, guaranteed. He's going to get rid of every problem, guaranteed. That's what's going to happen. The kingdom is, is, is this big right now, but it's going to be massive. Do you hope? Do you hope in that? Okay, so that's what he's doing. That's what he's bringing. He's brought it in part, but not in whole. We've seen Jesus saying that the kingdom of God is at hand, but he doesn't stop there. He must continue. And his reaction or his response to the kingdom being here is repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So for the third time now, we ask, why did Jesus come? 
Why did Jesus come? He came to say something, the gospel. He came to bring something, the kingdom. And now simply he, he has come to call us to repentance, to call us to belief. You see, Jesus wasn't merely concerned with educating us about the kingdom. That wasn't his interest. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned with just educating us about it. He was much more concerned with telling us how to enter into it. He, want, he wants us to be a part of it, to participate in it. And as we look throughout all of the New Testament, we're going to see this become a feature. Entrance into the kingdom of God, entrance into the family of God, being included into his kingdom is not about doing something right. It's not about what I can do to prove that I deserve to be in it. It's simply about repentance. It's about getting on my face before God and saying, my God, my king of all kings, I am sorry. You see, this is the fatal flaw of Jesus' enemies in the Gospels. This is their number one problem or mistake, that they were unwilling to repent. They were unwilling to believe in his message. The Gospel writers say that they had hardened hearts. But repentance is exactly opposite of that. It's the other side of that. It's, repentance is all about having a soft heart, admitting sin and turning away from sin and asking God to change us, revolutionize us. That is repentance, to turn away, completely abandon that past thing. You see, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, repentance is is. God would always bring it up when his people were guilty of idolatry. He would always bring it up, repent. You're serving another God, come back. Turn around, come back. Repentance was all about loyalty to Yahweh. That's what repentance is about. For God, it's not an end in itself. It's for God, repentance is all about restoration. And Jesus, right now, as he proclaims his message, is saying, you can participate, you can be restored, now repent. But each one of us, each one of us is guilty of committing a terrible form of idolatry. This is what our theologians would call total and absolute depravity. And our culture, it's, it's so scary because our culture not only allows it, but it wants it, it looks for it, it, it promotes it. It's about me. That's, what we, that's, what, that's the culture we live in from now on. It's about me. It's about protecting me. It's about defending me. It's about worshiping me. But there is only one God. That's what these two verses are, are shouting. There is only one king who reigns. But what we have done is we've set up other kingdoms instead. We've built up other kingdoms instead, and we're bowing down to what we're making, man-made, culturally constructed rulers in our life. But he has come to offer us grace. He came that we might have the opportunity to repent. Instead of bowing down to the worthless idols of our hearts and desires, we now have the opportunity to bow down before the one who has come to reign forever. Repentance is a key aspect of understanding the, the kingdom. Second aspect is belief in the gospel. Now, scholars have, have shown us that this word is, 
is deeper than we think it is. Belief isn't simply uh, like a mental assent or an intellectual understanding. Belief is something that uh, someone completely or fully commits to. It's not to just acknowledge that this is real or this is true. It's to completely yield to it. To believe is to completely yield. And the picture that I think of is a king. A king, not, not, no other political leader that we might think of today is different. A king comes and knocks on your door. Says, hey, I've shown up. You instantly bow. You instantly go down to the ground and you kneel before him. You kneel before him because he's the king. That's what Jesus has in mind. That's the picture we need to have. That's what belief is, is to lay down our lives for this gospel. This is what happened with Jesus' first disciples. We're reading 14 and 15, verses 14 and 15 today. Was verses 16 to 20 is all about uh, the first call to his disciples. And guess what they do? Leave it all. They leave it all. They believed. You know why we know they believed? They left it. They left it. They dropped their nets and followed the one who was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The only way they knew what believe meant is because we see them dropping it and going. See, for us, it's easy to just believe something and, and really anything. But it's another thing altogether to believe something so much that you're willing to bet your entire life upon it. That's the belief we're talking about. Here's an example that I thought of. Um, so you may believe that so-and-so uh, is a really good friend, right? Uh, a really good friend. You, you guys hang out quite a bit. Let's go, you know, if you're married, go back to the, your single days. Uh, for some of you, that's a long time ago. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was rude. Oops. Um, so you go think back to that time when you might have had, um, you might have been looking for a roommate, and you think so and so is a good friend, right? There's somebody that you're going to, uh, that you hang out with, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, bro, we're close. We're close, right? Let, let, let's let's be roomies. Let's let's, ro let's, let's room together. Let's, let's like rent an apartment out together. Let's do that." And all of a sudden you start backpedaling really fast, like, mm, "Wait just a second, I'm not." I'm not so sure, and you draw a line right here, and you're like, you, you can't cross this line, you see, because I've seen the way, or how the way you don't clean your bathroom at your apartment right now, and I see the way you grocery shop, it's just, it's just not a pretty, it's not a pretty sight, so, so I'm going to draw a line right here and say, man, we're really close, but we're not that close. What's happened is, I believe someone's a, a good friend, and then, and then something happens, something approaches me, and I realize, oh, maybe I don't believe what I thought, not, not so much. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He's coming up to you, and he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in it. And he is requiring us to erase that line. There is no boundary anymore. Get rid of the boundaries. That's what it means to believe in the gospel, to wholeheartedly embrace it. Every single ounce of you goes toward that gospel of the kingdom of God. So when we look at verses 14 and 15 together, and we summarize it as, as simply as we can. Why did Jesus come? Here's the answer. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom, which requires that we turn back and embrace him. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom, which requires that we turn back and embrace him. 
And I've said it a trillion times today, the kingdom of God is all about his reign over all things. But what is fascinating and even mysterious and, and, and it scares us is to think that we can miss this kingdom. We can miss it. We can completely miss it. Both the Old and the New Testaments talk about how God is the Lord. New Testament says, even more specifically, Jesus is the Lord. Romans 10, Colossians 1. Those are those places where we see Jesus is the Lord. Well, guess what that means? Guess what it means for someone to be Lord? Complete, ultimate, utter submission. Obedience. Giving your life over for that. So my question becomes, is he the ruler of your life? When we hear that Jesus has come to bring the kingdom, we must ask ourselves if there is another king. Who rules my life? Who rules your life? And to what kingdoms are we submitting? What kingdoms are we submitting to? Christianity at its heart is all about submission. His way, his way, his kingdom. We talked about this in the fall for like nine or ten weeks. Jesus is not part of my life. He can't be just part of my life. Because he's Lord, because he's king, because he has ushered in and established God's kingdom, we must give him everything. He is my life. So what are the idols? And I have to, I have to, I have to do this. What are the idols. What else is taking you from him? What is taking you from him? Who else is ruling you? Is it the idol of control? It's really easy in a me-centered culture to control everything. I'm going to keep all of this in, right here. <laughs> you say at your distance, this is me. The idol of control. Is it about what other people think? Protecting an image. That, that's mine. Straight up, that's mine. My idol that I constantly have to tear down is that I want, to, I want you to think well of me. Do you know that? I want you to think a certain thing about me. I want you to like me. I want you to pat me on the back. That's what I want. But that's another king. That's an, that's an idol. It doesn't, he doesn't, that doesn't deserve what he deserves. But yet, I, I constantly am struggling between, God, well, yeah, you're king, but I also want this person to like me. I'm going to stand before him one day. We're all going to stand before him one day. And as much as I love even each and every one of you, your opinion of me doesn't matter. His opinion desperately matters. That's mine. So what's yours? And this might seem a little surface level, but I'm, it's becoming more and more regular. What about music? Is it a certain person in, in, the, in the music industry right now? You can ramble off perfect word for word the lyrics of every song that she comes out with. Every single one. But when someone asks you, how are you and the Lord this week? You freeze. And all of a sudden, all those words that you can spill out like they're nothing, nothing. You, you, can't, you can't say anything at all. What king, what kingdom are you serving? And if I could just 
quickly turn my attention to the gentleman. And I'm careful when I say this. Don't, please don't take it all the way out of context. Maybe you can take it a little bit out of context. Fantasy football. You can give me all 25 of your players' stats for the last 17 weeks. But when I ask you to recite scripture to encourage me, you have nothing. (laughs) Me too. What kings are we serving? Because fantasy football is going to die. It's not going to last. Facebook's not going to last. Taylor Swift is not going to last. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? These things don't make it. They're going to, so to speak, they're metaphorically, they're going to burn. They're not going to make it. And we're going to stand before him and we have to give account to the king of kings. So what kingdom are you a part of? And one last thing. Uh, because I feel like I just slapped all of you, <laughs> uh, is that there's a reason why Jesus calls this good news. There's a reason why this is good news. And, and let, me, let me tell you about it. It's because you were dead. You were dead. You were aimless. You had nothing. You had nowhere to go. But you know the good news is that he's rescued us. He's rescued us together. He's rescued us. And he says, come be a part of this. Come with me. You can join him. It's good news. All that other stuff, it won't make it. It will all go away. But his word and his presence will never, ever go away. So join it. If you're not a Christian today, let me tell you, there is no better thing. There is no greater thing. There is no greater joy than saying that Jesus Christ came near to me and I can be like him. I can be with him and his father will call me son. Welcome to the kingdom, my friend. Entrance into the kingdom is at its very heart about believing, trusting, and laying down everything for this gospel that we've heard today. God is undoubtedly reigning today, but will you choose to let him reign over you? Lay it down because it won't last. Let's pray.